Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Yeah, well, it's 2024, brand new year, and a brand new year always comes with a couple of things. It always comes with an openness and even a hunger for new directions. You, you almost can't help it. You, you cross into the new year and immediately you think of the year past and immediately you start thinking about the year to come and you, you start to think about where do I need to have change? Where do I need to experience change? Where do I need to take some new directions in my life? And that is a, a, a powerful, powerful reality. And what that means is that right now really matters. Right now, really matters. Some of the greatest opportunities for change you will ever have in the course of the year are, uh, uh, happen right here, right now. Right here, right now. So I love preaching in, uh, in January because I know that that's the case. And part of what we're all about is life change. So I love, love preaching in January. Uh, but I'm not the only one that's got that figured out. I got an email this week from Whole Foods and Whole Foods are very concerned for me. Uh, they wanted to let me know that uh, January is jumpstart January and I needed to buy some supplements and some organic food from them if I'm really gonna start out strong in 2024. I appreciated that, I really did. I don't think that's what I'm gonna do, but I appreciated them reaching out and telling me that January is jumpstart January, jumpstart January. Well then, they're not the only ones. Fleet Feet reached out to me and they wanted to tell me that the new year is for new gear. You see, they want me to run and they want me to run more. So what they're telling me is new year, new gear, you need to come get some new gear. So, uh, all right, not to be undone, Tractor Supply reached out to me. And uh, they, weren't quite as, uh, they weren't quite as with it, to be quite frank. All they said was, Savings up to 60%. And I was okay. But what they were really saying is buy more to save more in 2024. So if I were, you know, if I were advising, that's probably what I would have used for the tagline. Buy more to save more in 2024. But you see what they're doing. You know what they're doing, right? They're giving us resolutions or they're giving me resolutions. They're telling me there are certain things that I should do in order to change direction, in order to uh, uh, see some new outcomes in my life. And I appreciate that because here's the reality. Resolutions and goals do have an impact. They do make an impact. They can have an impact. And, and there is something that is true about the, the saying, new year, new you, new year, new you. It's just that when you start the new year, it's new year, old you, and you want the old you to become a new you. So there's some things you got to do. And those things you got to do are resolutions. You got to make some resolutions, set some goals. Why? Because, well, old ways don't open new doors. Old ways don't open new doors. So we need solid resolutions. We need to head in some new directions if we're going to go in better places in our lives. I think you understand that. But this also applies, and here's my point, this also applies spiritually. It also applies to our spiritual lives. Yes, to our diets, sure, and to our exercise, sure, and to our tractors, perhaps, but it applies to our spiritual lives, certainly. So as 2024 opens up, I want to uh, offer to you a couple of spiritual resolutions for you to consider. And the reason I offer them is because they are God's and they are good. Uh, and here they are. Jesus says they are the most important resolutions that a person can have in their lives. And they are this, love God and love people. He said the, the, the greatest command is love God. And the one that is like it is love people. And so my challenge to you and my challenge to our church is that in 2024, we dare to love Jesus and love people in ways bolder and better than we've ever done before. Now, those resolutions are resolutions Christ gives us. They are strong resolutions because they say they are at the very, Jesus says they're at the very heart of what God wants. They're at the very heart, watch this, of what God wants for us 
and they're at the very heart of what God wants from us. It's what God wants to see in our lives, and, and, and it is because he knows that when they're present in our lives, they are good for us. He wants it from us, and he wants it for us. Now, every resolution needs three things in order to become a reality, if you think about it. A want to, a how to, and a where to. A want to, a how to, and a where to. In other words, every resolution has got to have desire behind it, a method behind it, a, a direction behind it. Why? Well, because the right motivation plus the right method plus the right direction always equals traction, and traction brings change. So in this month of January, we're going to be looking at those three things, particularly spiritually. We're going to look today at motivation, and then we're going to look at, at God's methods for these two uh, great, great uh, resolutions, these two great goals of loving Jesus, loving people. And then we're going to share with you some new directions through the month that our church will be taking um, to help you to accomplish and to be part of the change that comes by adopting those resolutions. We're going to talk about this month uh, some new and better ways that we as a church will help you with some new endeavors and new opportunities for loving Jesus and loving People. Now, to get started, to get started, we want to look at uh, motivation, motivation, which means that we want to look at the place where God always looks first, and that is at the point and the place of our hearts. And so I want to invite you this morning to turn with me to Revelation 2, verses 1 to 7, one of the most powerful passages for helping believers check their motivation that I know anything about. Why the heart? Well, Jesus knows, God knows that we all live from the heart, we love from the heart, and we worship whatever our heart adores. And so when, when, uh, when God is, is beginning to do a new thing, when he wants to do a new thing in us, inevitably he's going to come and, and he's going to call us to examine our hearts. To move forward spiritually requires always knowing what's going on internally. If you're going to move forward spiritually, you've got to know what's going on internally. You've got to, got to know what is the condition and the status of your heart. One of the best questions for a new year is, what, what's the best way forward when you find that somewhere perhaps you've fallen down or fallen behind spiritually? And and the quick answer is always start and find out what's happening in your heart. Now, as we come to Revelation, what we have here is a vision that was given to the Apostle John by Jesus of what is and what is to come. And he, he unpacks that. Jesus unpacks that in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter one, Jesus explains his relationship to his churches. And, and beginning in chapter two, he gives seven distinct letters to seven different churches. All of them are intriguing because every one of the churches has a certain spiritual condition that Jesus is speaking to and Jesus is challenging. And the one we're looking at today is the first letter. It's the letter to the Ephesians. And Jesus is directing his attention to the heart condition of the Ephesians. And he's asking them, he's wanting them to examine, to take a good, close, deep, hard look at their own hearts, at their hearts. So look at that with me together, would you? The scripture says, Jesus says this, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you can't bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and you're bearing up for my name's sake, and I know you have not grown weary. Jesus says, this is what I know about you. These are all good things, but, verse four, I have this against you. What is it? that you've abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless 
you repent. Now, what you notice right, right away, right out of the gate, is that the theme of this letter is love. And uh, specifically, it is a deep love lost. A deep love lost. In addressing it, Jesus is giving us an answer to that pressing question, what's the best way forward when you've fallen down or when you've fallen behind, particularly in your love for him, spiritually. And all of this is important because even genuine love for Christ can get lost. That is the evidence and that is the point of this letter. When love for Christ gets lost, it can seem impossible to get it back. Passion, a zeal for Christ, a desire to know him more, a hunger for fellowship with him, a, a, a delight in doing his will, uh, as, as you find it in his word. All of those things are, are evidence of a deep love for Christ. But these things, they can fade. And when they do, we, we're often unaware of it. They start to slip away. And if we're not paying close attention to our hearts, we can settle into a kind of a, a spiritual slide we can fall down into sin or we can fail or, or fall behind rather in our sanctification. Now, here's the problem with all of that. When you look around and you look, you look at the lives of other believers, you, you, when your love is slipping, one, one of the temptations is to look around and, and, and to look at the, the love of others for Christ and to get a sense of the love of others for Christ and the passion that you had at first can seem to be, well, actually, if you look at certain people, the passion you have for Christ can actually seem to be abnormal. And if you're not careful, you can draw a couple of conclusions. One being, oh, that must be only for new believers. They're the ones who are so passionate. They're the ones who are so dedicated, so committed to Christ. And I'm, I've been, been in walking with him for a while and the passion has died down, but that's normal. Look at everybody else. Their passion has died down too. Or sometimes we can say, well, you know, I had passion, but, but, and my love for Christ was strong, and now it's not as strong as it was, but, you know, life has happened. I've gotten busy, and I've got lots to do and, and places to be, but, I mean, I still love him, but I, I just, you know, uh, that's really for super saints or for pastors. If I were a pastor, well, I could really follow Jesus. I could love him. Oh, I'd love him. Well, I can, we can talk about that later. I, it's not as easy as you think being a pastor, but Jesus has no time for that. This is, this is really interesting. He has, he has no time for that kind of thinking. What we find him doing in this letter is calling the Ephesians back to him, back to the passionate love and devotion that they had for him at first. He's treating that passion for himself as if it were normal, as if that were the norm as if that, that's what, what is to be present all the time and can be present all the time. And what I want you to see with me this morning is the fascinating way that he, 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 he challenges them, he speaks to them, he, he meets them where they are. And um, I want you to see how helpful his letter is for everyone who needs a fresh start. He starts with the heart. Notice that, that as he does in this letter, he does three things. He confirms what true love can do, but then he shows what true love, even true love, genuine love can become, and then he shows how true love can be restored. And I wanna tag those for you this morning. As we enter into this new year, let's take a look at our motivation spiritually. Let's take a look at what moves us, compels us, what drives us spiritually, because ultimately what moves and compels us here moves and compels us everywhere else. All right, let's look at this. Notice first in verses one to three, how Christ points us to, to what true love can do. Now, he, he says some, some things that are rather odd at the beginning. He says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. And immediately you're going, I don't understand. I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. Does every church have an angel? And uh, what does this mean that he's holding stars in his hand and he's walking around lampstands? 
Well, let me unpack that for you really quickly. It's important, but we don't want to spend a ton of time there. Most commentators uh, believe that the, the angel is the pastor because it means messenger. So he's writing to the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he's giving him this message to share with the people. The picture of, of the stars and of Christ walking among the, the lampstands is actually uh, explained to us in chapter one. So basically, here's what Jesus says. It helps us to see the stars are the pastor's. And the lampstands are the churches. And so the picture is of the sovereign Christ uh, walking, keeping the pastors close, uh, working to guide them and to keep them his and to keep them faithful, and then making his way among his people, uh, uh, making his way uh, among the churches, Sardis, among the churches, Ephesus, and so on and so forth, Laodicea and whatnot. So he's making his way among the people. So we get this picture of Christ being uh, preeminent. He, he has the pastors in his hand. He's walking among his people. He's walking among his churches, and he's observing them. So he's caring for them. He's present with them. There's never a time when he's not present with them. All of this is very, very encouraging, but it's also very sobering because as he's walking around them, pastors in his hand, walking around the lampstands, representing the churches, he's also observing them. And so it's really important. He's saying, I'm doing this. Verse one, look at it. I'm doing this. Stars in my hand, walking among the lampstands. And let me tell you, verse two and three, what I see as I walk among you there at Ephesus. All right, tell us what, what you see. Tell us what you see. He says, I know your works. This is what I see. I see your works. I see your toil and your patient endurance. I see how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. I see how you found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently, and I know you're bearing up for my namesake, and I know you have not grown weary. Now, this is powerful because the Ephesians have come to faith in Christ. They have uh, had a, a deep love for Christ, and that deep love for Christ has transformed their lives and produced this kind of living, verses two and three, this kind of living. Uh, and so uh, it's, it is uh, powerful telling this is what love for Christ coming out of his love for us can do. There is a, a, a capacity to work to the point even of exhaustion, serving him, and, 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 and yet not feel weary. There, there's the capacity to endure hardship patiently. To, there's, there's the ability to stand against evil, even in your midst. There's, there's a, the ability to take sin seriously. There's the ability to be patient in persecution. All of these things are the consequence of having been loved by Christ and then loving him in return. And so the Ephesians give powerful evidence of a new life and a true devotion to Christ. And if you're a reader and you're reading this letter and you stop at verse three, then your natural uh, conclusion is gonna be, my goodness, this, this is the perfect church. It has strong, vital believers. This is the church where faith and faithfulness and, and uh, obedience are, are obvious. These, these Ephesians, why? They don't take their faith lightly. In fact, Faith in Christ marks their very lives. What a church, what a witness. How faithful, how steadfast, how courageous, how committed are its members. What a church. But Jesus isn't finished. The truth is, all of these things are true. Verse two, verse three, all that's true. But there's more truth. Verse four. The truth is something's gone terribly wrong in Ephesus. And so Jesus turns from showing them what true love can do and affirming that to showing what true love can actually become. And so abruptly, unexpectedly, shockingly, he says this, but I've got something against you. What? <laughs> look, look at all we're doing right. Look at all we've got right. Got our doctrine right. Standing against sin, all that. What? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? You got something against us? Yeah, I've got something against you. What could you possibly have against us? Look at how much we're suffering. Look how hard we're working. What could you possibly have against us? That doesn't sound fair. That doesn't sound right. But I have this against you, verse four, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned the love 
you had at first. The word abandon is a critical word. It means to step away from. It, it means to stop paying attention to. It, it means to ignore. You have abandoned. You've stepped away from. You've begun to ignore. You've stopped nurturing the love for me that you had at first. What is he saying? He's saying you had a deep love for me. It's been lost. And you can feel the blow of his words coming down like a hammer. Even with all the strength, all the good, all the work, all the faithful suffering, there's a serious spiritual problem present at Ephesus, and it is a love problem. Today's extreme dedication, all the things that are found in verses two and three are happening right there in the present as Jesus is speaking to the church. This is important. They're happening right now. But today's extreme dedication, apparently, by implication, is running on yesterday's extreme devotion, not today's. Does that make sense? The deep love for Christ that produced the works that are they're being shown here, that deep love isn't here. It's, it was here. And the consequence of the love from yesterday means they're doing the right things today. And Jesus says, I've got that against you. Because now you've stepped into a place where even your faithfulness offends me. You're neglecting me. So there's discipline coming if you don't change. Change? Yeah, change. Their first love for Christ somehow has been laid aside, meaning the great passion they had for him at the very first of their Christian lives, their enthusiastic affection for him that resulted in excitement, excitement to serve him, excitement uh, to serve others, the, the excitement to share him with others, just the excitement and the joy, and this is, this is, this is probably one of the best tests, the excitement and the joy that, that used to come from obeying him. How many of you just love to obey? You say, you know what? Give me an order. I love to obey. Well, I'll start over here. Okay. I'll start here. Okay. You just love to obey. See, this is curious, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're, we're at 100%. Now, don't you all lie. Anybody here just, I love to obey. I just, I just love it. Just give me orders, give me commands, give me directions. I'm all, all about it. Okay? No, that's what I thought. How many of you love to give orders? And, and, and Oh, come on. Yeah, okay, there we go. It's starting to brand. How many like to give? And here you like to be in charge and tell people what to do. Come on in the back. Yeah, I thought so. And here? Yeah. Nobody in that back section ever wants to give any... Okay, well, there you go, right away. And here, how many of you would really love to tell your parents what to do? Okay, there we go. That's what we all thought. Your parents would love to tell you what to do too. That seems to be a problem, they tell me, but I, I don't know. This, uh, this passionate love for Christ used to produce this real desire to obey him. I mean, to what he said you would do and and that's all gone the ephesians somehow slipped from the passionate pursuit of christ that once once marked them and so this is the strange strange situation they they're doctrinally right about christ they're morally obedient to christ but they're relationally cold their joy is gone do you see what's happened? Being right and doing right seem to have been replaced uh, with being, uh, seem to have replaced being in a vibrant relationship with Jesus. It makes you wonder, is being busy 
with the things of Jesus or being busy with the things of life somehow made them too busy to really maintain and watch over a relationship with him. And, and you've got to say, perhaps so. I want you to understand how tragic this is on so many levels. Because true love for God in Christ, when it's kept first, always leads ultimately to a true love for others. When that passionate love for Christ is abandoned, so too is our love for others. I may keep doing good things for Christ, but I stop caring like Christ as I do them. Another good test of, of the lost love for Christ is when we're losing love for people. When our actions and our service to others, even our sacrifice and our perseverance with others, it, it may continue for a while, but our attitude towards them begin to go, go wrong. The question is, how does, how does that happen? I mean, when you think about it, when you're genuinely born again, there is this joy that, that, that does come from being forgiven of your sin and this promise of a new life and, and this promise of a new direction. I mean, you, you, you have a father who loves you. You've got a savior who has redeemed you. You have, you have the Holy Spirit who is your, your, your guide and your keeper and everything you really, really ever needed God gives you when he gives you himself. And that explains why there's such passion, really, in the lives of new believers. When they come to the realization of all this, there is joy in obedience and there's joy in service and there's delight, I mean, in getting to know who God is and what he's like. And so there's this, this special delight in the word of God. So they may not understand everything that the word is saying, but there is this hunger for it and a joy in discovering it and finding out what it means to say God is good. When they go deeper and understand that to say God is good means that he's both loving and holy and he still saved me, all those kinds of things. When they, when they go deeper and deeper and deeper, there's just joy in discovering who he is, what he's like. And, and they live saying, I, I, I want to know you more. I want to love you more deeply. I, I want to obey you in everything, in every area of my life. So just show me what it is I need to do. Show me what it is I need to be and I will do it and I will be it because I love you so much. I just love you so much. Just point me, I'll go. And the mystery is how that becomes something else. It is a great mystery. It haunts me because, quite honestly, it's happened to me. And the question becomes, what happens when this happens? It's happened at Ephesus there's been heart failure, if you will. It happens at Ephesus. So what's happened? How did they get there? I mean, let me ask you a question. Did the gospel change? No. Did, did God change? Well, is he less faithful, less loving, less kind, less merciful? I'm asking a question. Can we blame it on him? No. So, so what's happened? Let me tell you what I've learned. When that happens... Almost inevitably, it is because of this. Watch this. Before our first love becomes a lost love, it becomes a lesser love. Before our first love becomes a lost love, it becomes a lesser love. What I mean by that is love for Christ over time becomes lost because it becomes less important to us. And it becomes less important to us when something else is found, something else that becomes for us more important. And that is what I call the Ephesian condition. You rarely find it in new believers, but you often find it in established ones like the people at Ephesus. You often find it, especially in those who have histories of faith and faithfulness. And this is such a sad thing where a new believer can't imagine living in any aspect of life, without Jesus, without his word, without his people, because they see him as their very life. They, they, know, they have nowhere else to go except to Christ. Those believers with the Ephesian condition, they can imagine that, and that's what they do. Maybe the best way to understand this is to remind ourselves again and again, 
again and again and again and again and again that we were all made to worship something. And every step we take away from a passionate pursuit of Jesus as our first love is always a step towards something else that has come in to replace him every single time. So when I begin to experience slippage in my spiritual life, every single time, I can say this without exception, something else has caught my attention. Every single time. Something else has begun to, watch this, are you listening? Win my affection. It will catch your attention and then win your affection every single time. So this is not rocket science. It's a mystery, but as you kind of unpack it, it begins to be pretty obvious. This is what's happening. Something else has gotten my attention. Okay. I got, I got a little bit of time. Okay, look, look, look. The Old Testament describes this as adultery. How do affairs start? From loving your spouse too much? I know that's a dumb question, but help me here. I mean, I mean, work with me. No, of course not. What happens? Someone else comes into the picture, and what happens? They get the... Attention, and ultimately begin to get the, what? Love, affection. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's why the Old Testament describes this kind of slippage as, as like a spiritual form of adultery. Before our first love becomes a lost love, it becomes a lesser love. And you know you're in a dangerous place when that's happened. So I, I want to pause. I want to ask. I want to say to you, can that be you? Can that be you? Might that be you? Is it possible that somewhere along the way, you abandoned, you stepped away from the kind of love you had at first for Christ, could that be you? Could something have come in and gotten your attention, claimed your affection and you gave in to it? Could that be you? Now, as we've said, lost loves are hard to get back Good news is that this first love, when it gets lost, isn't impossible to recover. And I love this picture. I, just, I love this picture, I do, of Jesus walking among his, his churches. And you know, he's, he's not jerked up the, the Ephesian lampstand, has he? I mean, he's still there, right? So he's not giving up on his people, which I love. Uh, so he's not jerked up the stand. He's not tossed it away. He's, he's walking among his churches and he's speaking to his church at Ephesus, and I love this picture. Do you see what, what actually is happening? We begin to understand what is really happening with the Ephesian church is that they have stepped away from their love for Christ, but Christ is not stepping away from his love for them. With this letter, he's stepping toward them. One of the beautiful things, and this is so hopeful and uh, so helpful, and I, and I hope it'll lodge in your mind, but one of the most beautiful pictures is, uh, that, that I can think of is, is the picture we get here is that even when I step away from Christ and I stop pursuing him, he continues to pursue me. He continues to pursue me. And I love that about them. And what that means, loved ones, is, is that whenever we begin to experience slippage or when we realize we've fallen or we've fallen behind, when that's happened to us, there's a good word here. I want you to hear it. You may have stopped, he has not. And he comes to you like he comes to the Ephesians. He says, I've got something against you. Now, I know you don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that, but we need to hear that. You've left your first love. You don't love me like you used to. You don't delight in obeying me like you used to. You don't find joy in serving me and in serving others like you once did. Your joy is somewhere else. And I've got this against you. There's, there's something between us now. There's a gap between us. And I'm coming and I want it to be filled. The question is, how do you fill that gap? Fortunately, I want you to see in verse five, Jesus shows us how true love can be restored. 
He offers the Ephesians who have fallen down, who have uh, uh, slowed down. He shows them a way up and a way ahead. And Jesus shows us exactly what the steps are that need to be taken. He says, verse five, remember therefore from where you have fallen, there's the first one, repent, there's the second one, and third, do the works you did at first. He says, remember where you were, repent of where you've gone, and return to what you did before. Let's unpack that really quickly here. First of all, Jesus says, if you, if you realize that there's been slippage, if you realize that your first love for me, that passionate love for me has come to be lost, this is where you begin. I've come to you, but this is how you respond. I want you, first of all, to remember where you were at the first. And this remembering here is more than just bringing the past to mind. It's, it's seeing and recalling what life was like when our hearts were full of passion for Christ. It's remembering the joy. It's remembering the satisfaction. It's remembering the freedom that, that a deep passion for Christ actually gives us as we live our lives. When your heart is set on Christ, I'm telling you, there is this extraordinary freedom. You care less about what other people think. You, 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 uh, uh, you, 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 you love, uh, how do I say this? You, uh, 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 you, Worry about people less, but you care for them more. Because you don't get your value from people, you're getting your value from Christ. There are a thousand different ways in which this, this life that Christ gives us is a transforming and joy-building and peace-giving uh, life. Remember that. Think back on that. What was it like when God was at work through you? What was it like when Christ was working with you? What was it like when you saw great things actually coming from your life, things that counted for the kingdom, that would count for eternity? Remember what that was like. Remember. And then Jesus says, secondly, recognize the depths to which you have fallen. Compare where you are now from where you were then. And look at the satisfaction and the lack of it. Look at the peace and the lack of it. Look at how burdened and enslaved you are to things that really don't matter because your love has slipped and gone somewhere else. Your, your passion is directed now to something that can't satisfy. Remember where you were and see how far you've fallen, Jesus says. Secondly, he says, repent. And this is so important, he says it twice. Remembering is the basis of repenting. You've got to remember before you can repent. So you've got to remember where you were, where you've fallen to, so that you can then repent of what has happened. Turn away from what has happened. That's when you're ready for a change of heart that comes from a repudiation of the present. It's looking at your life as it is now without Christ at the center. He's not completely gone. If you're a true believer, he's still in your life, but you pushed him to the margin. And because you pushed him to the margin, something else has come into the center. And what Jesus is saying is, look at your life. Is this really what you want? Is this really what I died to give you? Is this really worth all your trouble? Is this really worth all your worry? Is this really worth all your struggle? This is not what I, 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 I saved you for. Look at your life. Is this it? Be honest. Be honest. You say, oh, I'm so busy. I, I really don't have time to, to pursue Christ like I once did. Exactly. Look at your busy life. Is this it? You know, sometimes I think believers just need to get tired of being tired, take their calendar and a Sharpie and mark out about, I don't know, 30% of the stuff they're doing so they actually have margin to be people again and to love Jesus. See how quiet he got? In repentance, you turn from, from sin and self back to the Savior. 
You identify that thing that has gotten your attention and gotten your affection and you, st- you tell it no and you say yes to Christ and he goes back to the center. Thirdly, Jesus says, return to what you did at first. And I, f- I, find, this, I find this phrase so intriguing. What does he mean by this? Because it's, it's interesting, the church at Ephesus is doing all these good things. Look again at verses two and three. They're doing, 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 doing. And Jesus says, yeah, you're doing, 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 but you're not loving me. You, you don't have me first. Then he says, so he says, so remember, repent, and return to what you were doing before. But we're doing, 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 doing. All these good things, what do you want us to do? What is it you're asking for? What, what are you after? What, what is it that we did before that caused our hearts to, to stay passionate and committed uh, and, and full of Christ. What were those things? You know, there's some powerful lessons here for us. You can actually have outward signs of spiritual success and, and there still be something seriously wrong at the heart level. Uh, there is great danger in living and serving faithfully as a believer without Jesus, but you can do it. You can lead life group and do it without Jesus. You can be a deacon and do it without Jesus. You can work with kids and do it without Jesus. You can park cards and do it without Jesus. You can do a lot of good things. You can believe the truth and do it without Jesus. You can rely on yourself. You can rely on the gifts and the talents he's given you rather than relying on him. You can do those things without serving out of a passion for him but it will never end well. So what is he wanting us to do? What are the the things that he wants us to do if we're going to return to him? And I think at at the heart of it, what he's calling for is this. Before we, we are men are called to do anything else, we are meant and called to an intimate, personal knowledge of Jesus that's anchored in a living relationship with him. Genuine, lasting fruit in a Christian's life comes out of a deep, surrendered, personal connection to Jesus. And that connection isn't just a matter of daily devotions and quiet times. You can do those without him, without love for him, because you know you're supposed to. It's not keeping up a a list of spiritual practices. You can do other spiritual practices and not love him. It's not really about managing your schedule so you keep making time for church. As important as those things are, you can do all those things and still suffer from a lost love. All of those things are means to an end. They are not the end. So what is the end? What is the goal? What is it that Christ wants us to do? I think it's this, it's aiming for this deep, surrendered, passionate connection to him. A connection that comes when we slow down enough to give Jesus direct aspect to every aspect of our lives. Direct access to every aspect of our lives. It's to live your life seeing Jesus as he is, Walking among his people and to acknowledge, yes, he sees everything there is about me. He has access to all the reality there is about me, but he needs not only uh, um, the access to what is true about me, he needs access to me. He needs access to me. It is to say, I, I, I understand that Christ is always at work among his people. And that the most important thing that I can do is not put on a good show for him and say, look at me, Jesus, see, I'm doing all these right things. But is to go deeper than that and say, all right, Lord, here's my heart. I'm gonna open it up. I'm gonna give you access to everything there is about me. I want, to give you, I want to give you permission to speak into every area of my life. I'm going to open up my heart and I'm going to open up my life so that in such a way 
so that in my marriage, I am saying and meaning your will be done here. What your word says, I will do in this marriage. What your word says I will do in my business, I will do in my business. My business, watch, 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 watch. My business belongs to you, not to me. I'm opening up my heart and I'm opening up my business and I'm saying, what would you have me do with your business? The scripture says all things come from him and all things are for him, Romans eleven thirty six. 36. So I'm going to live and treat that as if that were true. And I'm going to look at everything in my life and I'm going to say all that I have is from you and I'm going to accept that all that I have is ultimately meant to be for you so I'm giving you access to everything. I'm giving you an all access pass to my life. You have the right to go into every room, every closet, every corner. You have the right to speak into it. You have the right to command whatever you want to command in every area of my life, period, period, period. No legal clauses to get me out of that. All of me, everywhere, you speak. When you've remembered and you've repented, that's the way love begins to be restored. Have you noticed how you treasure more what you invest in? Have you noticed that? The more you put into something, the more you value it. Yeah. With that step of opening up your heart and saying all of me for, 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 to all of you, everything's from you, everything's for you. When you live that way, you have laid your whole life down, just as we were singing not too long ago. You've laid all your life down before him. And what you find is the love you had at first begins to be the love you have for him now. And that love comes back. So when you go home today, I want you to Pull, into, to pull up to your apartment, walk in and say, this is your apartment. When you go home today, walk into your home and say, this is your home. When you look at your bank account, I want you to say, this is your bank account. When you look at your wife and say, this is the wife you've given me. I'm grateful for her. This is the husband you give me. I'm grateful for him. This is a gift. This is a gift. And all this is from you for you. All of this is from you for you. Look at the children you've given me. All that, they are from you for you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, here, here they are, and you speak. What you say goes. I won't get it right every time, but I'm, with all my heart, my passion is for you to be honored. In every friendship, every relationship, and everything I have, everything I own, and everything I am. When that becomes the motive of your life, everything changes. Spiritual life gets traction and God begins to work. Who knows what God will do with you? So how's your heart? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes all across the room? Lord God, as we come into this Lord's Supper, this is perfect for us, perfect for us because you're calling us to remember then you're calling us to repent. And then in the supper, you're calling us to return. And we, we acknowledge that and we, we honor that today. Lord God, right now, give us, give us some time of examination. Would you, by your spirit, would you speak to our hearts about the condition of our hearts? Would you tell us what you see when you walk among us? Would you show us the closets, the rooms, 
the wings of our lives where you've not had access, where we've told you to stay out, where we've told you no. Would you bring us, Lord God, even now to remember when our love for you was the greatest, the highest, the richest, the best, and what, what that was like, and what that room, that closet looked like, what that part of our lives looked like, what, what life was like. Would you remind us of that, and then would you show us where we are now? Bring us then, Lord, to repentance, to turn away from that. and Put your son again at the center. And open our hearts wide to receive all that he has and all that he is in every area of our lives. Father, in this room, there are some marriages that have been stolen from you. There are some children that have been taken from you. There are some businesses that have been taken from you. There there are some friends that have been taken from you because we've claimed them, we've made them our own or we've put them at the center. Forgive us. There's some sports that have been taken from you. They're not yours, they're ours and we're treating them like they're ours. There's some hobbies, there's some activities, there's some things in our lives we've put in the place of Christ. Forgive us. Our motivations have gone badly. So to our lives, forgive us. I want to invite you in this moment, those of you who are believers, just to finish out whatever business you need to finish out with the Lord. As you look at your heart, the condition of your heart, and your love, as it is for Jesus. We confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord God, as this new year is fresh and upon us now, and we're in your presence, we, we want to commit ourselves and this year to you in a fresh way. We say, Lord Jesus, that you are enough and you are more than enough, that all of our love, all of our devotion, belongs to you because of your broken body and your shed blood. Because of the healing, the freedom, the forgiveness that you have made real for us. As we celebrate your supper and remember, Lord Jesus, all that you've done for us, begin even now to refresh and restore our love for you. In your name we ask it. I want to invite you to take out the uh, cups. If you are a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to participate with us. If you have taken steps, and I, I trust that you have, to confess sin and to make things right with the Master. Center Grove, we believe the Lord's Supper is an ordinance of the Lord in which gather believers eat bread that signify Christ's body given for his people and drink the cup of the Lord that signifies the new covenant in his blood that makes a way for us to the Father and gives us eternal life and forgiveness. We do what we do, what we're about to do in just a moment in remembrance of him. Remembering the power of repentance and the need constantly to return to him. We know that as we eat the bread and drink the cup. We proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We say to each other, remember what he did. Remember what he did. Remember the cross. Remember the cross. Don't forget the cross. Don't forget the power of the cross. And as we eat and drink in a worthy manner with our sins dealt with, we're able to partake of Christ's body and blood, not physically, but spiritually and by faith and 
Consequently, we're nourished by remembering and reclaiming the benefits that he won for us through his death. And that helps us to grow in the grace, grow in his grace and stay strong in him. So this is an important moment. I want to invite our chairman and vice chairman of deacons to come. I want you to find your cup and... Uh, Cellophane wrapper on the very top for the bread, a foil wrapper top for the cup, all right? So on the night that he was betrayed, the scripture says Jesus first took the bread and he broke it. And he said to the disciples, this is, this is, your, uh, this is my body that was broken for you. And one of the best ways to understand that is I, I'm going to be broken ultimately so you don't have to be. He took our breaking for us so that we might be made whole. After he broke it, he blessed it, and we want to do the same as we remember his body broken for us on the cross. I'll invite our vice chairman, uh, John Sapp, to lead us in that prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pause this morning, Lord, and remember the cross. Lord, that your body was broken because of our sin. Lord, we're so grateful for the Lord's Supper and a time to remember. This being a new year, new year, Lord, let us draw nearer to you and let us love you and love each other as you commanded us. Lord, we pray for your blessing over the bread and remembrance of your body that was broken for us and in everyone who partakes of it. So your name will be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat all of it. As we do, we remind ourselves of the price he paid for us. How his brokenness, how our brokenness became his. His wholeness became ours. Thank you. Jesus for the wholeness he brings and tell him that you love him. Just take a Secondly, the Lord Jesus took the cup. And he explained it as the new covenant in his blood, the new, the new relationship that was being established because his blood was shed our sin could be removed. All that was stood between us and a holy God now cast away meant we had access to the Father and we could actually call him Father. We've been adopted into his family, part of that covenant work of Christ. We're so thankful, so grateful for that. In like manner, he blessed the cup. And I'll ask our chairman, Jonathan Cochran, to lead us in that prayer. Let us pray. Dearly Father, Lord, as we take the moment now to reflect upon the cross and the blood that was shed that day for our sins. Lord, we thank you for the new covenant, the new relationship that the shedding of your blood opened the door for us. And we thank you for the love that you had for us that day and the love you still have for us today now and the fact that you continue to still pursue us. Lord, we pray that in this year, for each and every one of us that we will continue to repent, to turn back and to look back to, to you so that we will continue to love you more and then love other people. Bless this time and blood. In your name we pray, amen. This cup, Jesus said, is the New Testament, the new covenant in my blood. Take, drink all of it. This is for Now would you take a moment to thank him for your forgiven sins, for old life made new, for a love that did not fail you and 
will not fail you even when yours fails him. Would you just tell Jesus that you love him? We thank you, Father, for this great gift of your great son. Cause us to love him with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. Teach us to love each other as a consequence of your great love for us. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. The best way forward in Christ is a return. If you want to go ahead, you've got to go back. And that's the message of Ephesians. We're going to close as the uh, first century, uh, as the first uh, disciples did in the first century by singing. So let's stand together. We're going to sing what is, I think, the testimony song of every believer. And we'll invite Roman to lead us. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.